Running the bases with small businesses. I'm Randy Rohde, and I have a passion to work with small businesses, and I love baseball. So I thought, hey, let's bring them together. So every episode, I sit down with local entrepreneurs, business builders, and small business owners to talk about their wins and whiffs, their tools of the trade, and to give actionable tips to other business managers. We'll cover the bases with entrepreneurship, operations, sales, digital marketing, innovation, plus a little fun baseball talk. Thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say, play ball. Okay. Hey, love that intro. Hey, Welcome to the show today, Running the Bases with Small Businesses. I'm Randy Rohde. And today, there we go, love that. And today I have Eric Dickman, who is the founder of Five Echelon. And Eric is an executive leader. He's got 30 years of experience. This guy is something in marketing, product development, digital transformation, and a general overall clever guy. And so, Eric, hey, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on board. Hey, Randy. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, so excited. So you're all the way down in Florida. We want to hear everything about it. But tell us, what in the world is this company, Five Echelon? What is it? What's the meaning behind the name, which is probably the biggest question. What exactly do you do? So there's a, I just threw all kinds of pitches at you. So you just hit one of them. Hey, you know, it's so funny. I get asked that a lot, which is good, right? You want to have a little bit of a story behind your brand. But when I just started, uh, decided to start my own consulting firm, I did what many small business leaders do. They get on GoDaddy and they start looking for domains because your digital presence is so important in the environment today. And so you want to have a domain that is easily found. And I just started going through name after name after name. And of course, they're all taken. I've heard that almost every sort of single word dot com in the English dictionary is taken by now. And so a lot of it is now two word combinations, or you'll see a lot of new companies, especially in the tech space, they just make up names, you know, they're completely phony names, but it's about the only thing that you can do to actually get a domain. (laughs) So I was really struggling trying to figure out exactly what do I want to call this company? Because I had a set of values that I really wanted this company to stand for. So I wanted it to be something that had to do with those values. And that's where I settled on the five echelon. So the five echelon are organizational culture, which I believe is kind of the foundational piece for what every business needs to have a thriving environment for their employees. It's process, it's product, it's people. And then all of those things come together for profit. So those are the five echelon. And that is really the value system behind my consulting practice. And so that's where the name came from, the five echelon group. Well, terrific. Well, th- that is a very deep explanation in how I you know, get to your name, is. right? That I've got a whole story behind 38 Digital Market, which is not nearly as deep and meaningful. <laughs> so, well, you, know, you know, what's kind of funny, too, is that initially when I was doing this, I designed a logo and the logo is the word echelon to the power of five. And so 
a lot of people ask me, well, you're Echelon 5, right? Which is, you know, the reverse. And I actually looked at that name, but the domain was taken. And wouldn't you know it, about a month ago, I get a message from somebody and they say, hey, you know, would you be interested in this domain name? We're looking to sell it. You know, what would you offer us for this domain? And I'm like, I've already settled on something. Going a different route. Uh, that's how well, it goes. All right. But I kept an eye on it. And sure enough, it became a hey, there you go. All right. So tell us, what do, you, what do you exactly do with the the five echelon group? So one of the needs that I saw out there in the marketplace is a lot of small and mid-sized businesses, they really don't have a very comprehensive marketing strategy. They maybe have elements that they execute. Maybe they outsource some to some agencies or whatnot, but maybe they haven't felt that they're in a position to hire on a full-time marketing executive or really put together that more comprehensive strategy. And so the primary thing that I do is I act as a virtual CMO for these businesses, which is really a fractional executive model where I come in, help the businesses at an executive level, design a strategy, put together a plan for how they want to take their products to market, and then really manage the execution of that, whether it's through internal resources, bringing in agency partners or vendors or freelancers or whatnot to really help (coughs) execute this more comprehensive strategy. And it's been a great uh, proposition, I think, for a lot of businesses because they might not be willing to spend that kind of money on a marketing executive as a full-time resource. Maybe they want to focus on a salesperson or some technical resources but it gives them the ability to sort of have that experience, have somebody who's got the connections within the industry to pull together that strategy and at the same time, save them some money in the process. So it's, it's been very interesting. And I think it's going to be a business model that really takes off, especially as more companies in the world of COVID have embraced remote work and having people outside, you know, the four walls of their offices, because typically this is a, is a remote kind of position. And I think more companies are open to that as they've seen it work in the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know you've got, as I mentioned earlier, you know, years of experience in what it is that you do and the expertise that you bring to the table. How did you kind of go from that corporate world um, really to being this entrepreneur and having your own business right now? Yeah. So like many, you know, my corporate progression happened over the years, one position after another at various companies. And I finally uh, had a job at a company called Siebel Systems. And uh, they were one of the pioneers of customer relationship management. And uh, a lot of the people who used to work there now work at salesforce.com. And a lot of that really market knowledge has gone over to that company. But during that process, while I was at Siebel Systems, they were acquired by Oracle. And that was a great experience for me because it was a global position that I was in and I was uh, doing marketing uh, for financial services products across all these regions of the world. And it was great. But there was also something about being in a big company that has such a main, uh, a major Wall Street presence that you begin to see how things get manipulated to make investors happy. And I remember there was a, there was a real turning point in my career, I think, when one year we were told as a company, that we're, we just aren't doing that well, or we're fighting, you know, to make our meet the Wall Street expectations. We're not going to be able to pay people raises and bonuses. And, you know, that happens in the corporate world. I understand that. 
but it was the same year that they actually paid the CEO, Larry Ellison, who is one of the richest people in the world, I think the third richest person in the US, fifth in the world, $79 million in salary. And that was hard to stomach as an employee. When you look and, and see where the money is going, I think in that same year, they paid the executive team about $250 million or something in, in overall compensation. At the same time, they were telling employees, no, we got to cut back. And, you know, Randy, when I looked at all that, I said, you know, this really isn't the way that I want to work. I want to help companies deliver value, not only to their customers and their stakeholders, but to their employees as well. I think that everybody inside a company should benefit from the growth, from the uh, effort that are being put forward to make the company a better place, not just a few at the top. And so that was really what started my thought process into saying, okay, if you want to have an impact, if you want to try to help younger companies build a foundation to really be able to support a broader range of employees versus just those couple at the top, maybe you need to get out on your own, start a consulting company and put some of these theories into practice for other businesses. Mm. So that's really how it started. Good for you. As you were kind of talking about that a little bit, I, I was uh, thinking about a, a business book. And this thing is, it's, I don't know how many years old this book is, but it's by a guy, his name is Jack Stack, and it's called The Great Game of Business. And he kind of talks a little bit about what you're just kind of uh, relating there in regards to how everybody plays a part in the success of the business. And they should all essentially kind of enjoy the rewards of the business. And he takes it even a step further, though, and he talks about that everybody needs to be educated in their place in the business, how they contribute to the overall profitability and support of the business and the products or services they deliver. And so it's a very interesting book. It must be probably 30 years old. So you talk about the CX or the customer experience. Can you dig in a little bit into that? What is that and how do you measure it? What do you look for when you're talking? about customer experience? I boil customer experience down to the simple idea of reducing friction. You know, I think everybody, every one of your listeners is going to be an Amazon customer, right? And why do so many of us buy from Amazon? It's because they have reduced friction from the buying process. You see what you want, you push one click and it's on its way. They tell you it's going to be here in two days and the day it's supposed to arrive, they say it's 10 stops away and then it's been delivered and here's a picture of it at your, at your doorstep. They've just reduced friction throughout the whole process. And I think one of the big things with customer experience is really putting yourself in the shoes of your customers and understanding what are the points of friction in your interactions with those customers. Let me give you a, a quick example. Uh, I was buying some equipment. I'm a podcaster as well. And there's been a lot of things that have been out of stock because everybody's working from home and there's a lot of video conferences and whatnot. And so the other day, some things that I'd been looking for finally came back into stock and I had them in my uh, wish list. And the site said, okay, do you want to transfer the things from your wish list into your shopping cart? Oh, great. Easy, right? So I push a button there in there. And then they had a button at the bottom of this cart that said, buy with Apple Pay. And so I pushed the button and I got an error. Well, okay, that's not supposed to happen. So I kind of worked my way through it, found out that they had implemented it wrong. And so what they really wanted me to do was sign up for an account, enter all my address information, billing information. So I had all that in, tried it again, aired out. So 
I contacted their customer service about this and I got the usual response. Well, did you try a different browser? Did you clear your cache? Did you do this? Did you do that? Everything was coming back on to me as the customer. What do I need to do to fix a problem that they had with their technology? And I'd even tried this on a couple different platforms and the same thing. And I tried this over the course of uh, two or three days because I really wanted to get it to work. I, that's just kind of where my customer experience hat is. I, I try to pound through these things. And eventually, you know, I talked to another person and they said, well, you can call into the call center and give them their inf your information and they can help you there. And I said, no, actually, I'm going to order it from your competitor because I can go there, push a button and it's done. And I thought about this whole idea of customer experience and friction mm. and all the points along that path that they had to take a problem and make it right where they didn't do it. What businesses tend to do is when things go wrong, they tend to ask more of the customer instead of what can they do to make things right? What can they do to make the process better? And I think too often what happens in the customer experience world is that companies get tied up in their process and they say things like, I can't do this, or that's not our policy. And you can absolutely do anything you want. You're a private business. You can, you can give me a free product. You can send it to me overnight. You can refund my fee, whatever you want. You have the power to do that. When you say you can't, that's a process problem. That's a policy problem. And I think too often experience gets lost in process and policy. And my advocacy is really around putting yourself in the shoes of your customer, seeing where those points of friction are, and what can you do to make that experience more seamless for the customer? There's a reason that Amazon is dominating the stock market today, and that's because they have reduced so much friction from procurement to delivery to ordering, you name it, across the spectrum. What can other businesses do to reduce that friction and improve the experience? That's wow. a long answer. That well, that is a great a uh, uh, great response, and it, I I love how you phrase it, which is reduce friction. So reduce that friction, make it easier, if you would, to allow the customer to do business with you or to have that experience with you. So you know, many of our listeners are small business owners, or they're thinking about opening up a small business. With all of your uh, years of experience, what do you think, or what kind of advice would you give a small business owner? Owner, in means of beginning to look at their business and maybe do a customer experience audit, how they can begin to improve that customer experience in their own business. Let me give you a great example that I heard. As you mentioned, I'm in Orlando, Florida. As everybody knows, we've got big theme parks down here. And I was listening to an interview where they were talking about a new attraction that was opening up in Orlando and how the, the president of the parks division was coming down to take a look at this attraction for the first time. And you know how these things tend to go when executives show up at events. You know, it's a photo opportunity, pictures with some cast members, you know, VIP treatment, front of the line, get on the ride, see how it goes. But that's not at all the way it went down. What they were focused on is saying, how would this attraction be for an average guest? So the executive came down, brought his whole family. They bought a ticket. 
they waited in line. They saw what it was like to, you know, stand in a long line of people, what the queuing process was like, what the pre-show was like Hmm. and getting on the attraction and getting off. And then he had the experience of that ride from a guest's perspective. He didn't experience it in any way that was different from what his customers would experience it. And he got the feedback of his family. So to take that back to your question, I think what a lot of small businesses can do is they need to sort of step away from their role as owner, as participant in a business and step into the role of customer. Have your family and friends go through the same processes that your customers go through so that you can get some real honest feedback. If you're able to put yourself in the role of your own customer and try to experience the business from their point of view. Because too often, I think what happens is we get those blinders on because we're so caught up in all the processes and procedures and honestly, the the pride of authorship for some of the things that we've built or designed or delivered that the errors or the, the faults or those points of friction aren't even visible until you actually can experience them for yourselves. And we've all been party to these surveys that so many companies want to do. You take your car in to be serviced and you're bombarded with surveys, but all they want to know is that they did an excellent job. They aren't really trying to uncover those points of friction. They just want to say, I did an excellent job. So I get a bonus or I get a, you know, something back from the auto manufacturer. It's not really designed to uncover those problems. And so I think what you have to do as a business owner is look at it from the point of, I want to see if there are points of friction. I want to see if there are problems. That is excellent advice. And I think you're spot on in regards to the surveys that come around. I love the idea as well about going and just experiencing your service as a customer, to be your own customer and be critical about it. Because I know even in my own world, too often I just kind of think about delivering, 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 and not necessarily always thinking about this experience as the customer. And it's great advice and um, difficult to do, I think, because sometimes I think it's difficult to be honest with yourself. And you always want to, you want to say, I'm doing a great job, but you know, to be critical and really be, have that examination, that audit mind to really think about how can I improve it? That is hard. Especially if that critical thinking means you have to admit that maybe you made a mistake or you did something wrong or an investment that you made isn't panning out the way that you hoped it would. There are many businesses that go out of business just because they're unable to pivot. They're unable to sort of take that feedback and say, okay, we missed the mark a little bit here. We need to adjust. I think about all the people who take the time to report a problem and how often those problems just get swept under the rug. And you have to think, if one person reported the problem, how many people have experienced the problem but right. never said anything about it? Right. And there is good information out there, whether you're doing a survey, whether you're experiencing it yourself, or whether you're just receiving feedback that's coming to you. But pay attention because if somebody says something, chances are there are you know, a dozen that haven't. 
Right. Yes, exactly. And I, I have years uh, er, early in my career, years of retail management experience. And that's exactly what we always told our managers as well as like, listen, for every great comment that you get from a customer, there's like 30 people who have complained, but they didn't say anything. And so you're just always are keeping in mind that people um, are out there that may not be happy. And you're always looking at, at ways to try to, to, to try to win them over and yeah, continue. Absolutely to keep them. All right. Well, that's good stuff. Okay, Eric, you know what time it is? And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. There we go. It's the famed baseball question. <laughs> I feel a brat and a beer coming on. Okay. So as I always try to tell our research team, like, hey, here's our guest. This is their background. I give them the task to try to find something that's uh, within the background experience, maybe. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about MLB broadcast advertising, all right, to give, uh, kind of in your ballpark here. So what industry, Eric, do you think spends the most dollars in broadcast advertising in MLB broadcasts? I would think beer. Beer. That's what I would get, beer, yeah. You know, that's funny. One of our earlier uh, shows, we actually had a, an alcohol delivery service. And the question we asked them was, uh, what was the most popular uh, drink at a ballpark? Which, at a ballpark, was beer. And was beer, okay. Yeah, it was something like 50% of all drinks served was beer. Beer is not one of the, the top two anyway. It is in the top four. It's number four from an advertiser and I'll, I'll just Anheuser, uh, all right, Bush. But the top two industries, automotive and technology, actually. Not of guest technology. Yeah, yeah. And the biggest individual advertisers, General Motors, AT&T, Ford, and then Anheuser-Busch, as we mentioned already. Yeah. And so how about this? So would you ever advise a client, hey, you know what? I think this is the best strategy for you. You should have a 30-second spot in the World Series. You know, I've been asked that before about that or the Super Bowl. And, you know, those events have prestige and they certainly get a lot of free advertising off of it, you know, as they get put on YouTube and talked about in the papers and things like that. I don't know. I, if you see Bud Light advertised in the Super Bowl or the World Series, does, does it make you want to go buy Bud Light? I, I, I just, I, I really question how much it moves the needle unless maybe it's a product introduction. I just think there are uh, many more affordable ways to do it. Well, at, uh, so my research team pulled that it cost $360,000 for one 32nd spot in the world series. And I don't know if that's game one or game seven, but either way, that's a lot of money. It was certainly sur money. surpasses my uh, marketing budget <laughs> by that's a long right. shot. All right. Well, listen, you did well on the, the baseball question. So that wasn't too hard. All right. So let's, get back into it. Play ball. So here we are. So you are there in Florida. And I know uh, from our previous conversations, you work for companies in this kind of fractional CMO type of role and you do it remotely. So you do a lot of remote working and many people now, especially in this pandemic era, 
are doing remote work. How do you stay focused and productive when you're remote working? You've got a client maybe that's a thousand miles away and you're all snug and comfy in your office at home. And, you know, the refrigerator is just a few soft padded steps on the way. But how do you stay? Yeah. How do you stay focused and productive, though, in this world of remote working? You know, I've really been doing it for a long time, so 20 plus years, so I've I've gotten pretty good at it. And, you know, that really came at a time when the tools weren't as robust as they are today. But I think if you think about a lot of the jobs that you would see in a typical office park um, or corporate environment, most people are spending their days on their computer, doing email, working on spreadsheets or documents or on uh, calls or Uh, in meetings, and almost all of that can easily be done remotely. I think what I've found is that when you put your focus on productivity, on the work that needs to be done, not the time that you're spending doing it, it, it really flips the equation around a little bit and takes some of the pressure off because it allows you to then work at a pace that sort of fits the ebb and flow of the day. You know, I think one of the fallacies about going into an office is that people set aside their personal lives when they're working, you know, eight to five in an office building. And that just isn't the case. You know, we have, you got to take your car to the shop or you have a doctor's appointment or, you know, you're buying a new house and have to go to a closing or so. There are things that come up in your life that you just can't set aside. And so one of the values I think of remote work is it allows you to integrate your personal life and your work life, that work-life balance, which I'm such a big fan of, into a more flowing state, I think. And yeah, it requires some discipline. You have to make sure that you're available when you need to be available. You have to make sure that you're getting your work done in a timely way, that you're building trust with the people that you're dealing with remotely. If you are going to be trusted to get the work done on a time scale that works for your day, you have to make sure that you're meeting the deliverables, the dates, the quality that are expected on the other end. But to be able to manage your work life in such a way that you can also manage your personal life, I think removes a tremendous amount of stress. You know, I've seen people talk about how stress levels have gone down because people aren't commuting, you know, spending an hour or two hours if you're out in California uh, going to and from the office every day. And now that that's time that can be put to more productive use where people don't have to be spending money going out to eat every day on lunch. I, I think one of the things too that I've found, and I think the research backs this up, is that people tend to work longer when they're at home. You don't take an hour for lunch just to get out of the office. You know, you grab a quick bite to eat, then you go back to work, or maybe you take a break at three o'clock to go mow the lawn, and then you're back at your desk at seven o'clock to finish a few things up. All of those things are things that need to be managed. But I just think that remote work and now the acceptance that's come with it because of COVID is going to be a game changer for so many companies. And I think it's going to be great for people. I'm yeah, yeah. And I think I love what you say about the integration of kind of business or, or work in your personal life, because I think that is is so important and so relevant. And I think becomes, especially in our world today, has become much more important as people begin to prioritize as much as they prioritize work, but as their personal lives as well. And 
and having that balance. And I think that's uh, that's a great perspective that you have on there. And to kind of support that issue that you mentioned in regards to productivity, I think I actually even read something a few weeks back that companies actually were surprised that product. They had, where they had expected productivity levels to drop um, because uh, of the remote work that had escalated because of the pandemic. And in fact, that it actually not either just stayed the same or actually improved. And and I think it may be because people are like, listen, it's kind of nice to have this balance. I can come and I can do this and I can come back to it. And then I can go take my kid to school or take them to wherever and then come back to do some more work. And they may be working at nine o'clock at night where they didn't before, but because they had that balance, right? Because they were doing other things. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And I agree with you. We were kind of moving at, at a good pace toward more remote, more technology kind of driven work environments. Uh, but now I think through the whole pandemic experience that that is really has just propelled us into a whole new world that is becoming much more accepted and embraced in the way that we're working. Uh, like you know, Zoom and all of yeah. these other kind of remote platforms that people can have conversations. I think relationships are still critical. People will still need yes. that individual contact, but, you know, the freedom to be able to do some things more remotely and on platforms, I think is, is going to be remarkable, not only from that work-life balance, but I do think from a productivity level, I think it actually is going to enable people to even do more beyond what they even thought of. So, um, and I would agree with you that I would just add that I do think that companies have to intentionally get people together. You can't sort of be all remote. You have to be able to get people together to interact, to be able to get to know each other personally. And so that is still important. You know, for now, we still have to do some of that virtually, but that's, you know, getting together people. Uh, team meetings on a Zoom call or something like that. You still need to do that. Um, okay. So I know kind of the makeup a little bit of your company. You're a, a, a solopreneur, I think is the term. So you're the sole employee. Now, I know that you work collaboratively with uh, other folks in order to deliver services for your clients. However, you know, sometimes that's a lonely world that you're in. You're the guy, right? Um, the only guy. So a question that I have is, where do you get energized? How do you stay kind of focused and engaged in the business, you know, continual push to move forward so that you feel that that you can kind of give back to your clients and so that you can stay focused? Where do you find that level of support for you? You know, that's actually a great follow-up question to what we were just talking about, because we certainly are in an era where networking is gone. We can't sort of go out to dinner as easily with right. uh, with peers and mentors and whatnot. So a lot of it has, you know, become virtual. And what has really been transformative for me is what we're doing right now is podcasts. I am a connoisseur of podcasts. I have found so many interesting and insightful people sharing their stories, sharing advice. You know, one of the biggest pieces of, of wisdom that I could impart to a new business owner or a small business is that chances are the problems that you're experiencing, somebody before you has experienced them as well. And if you can learn what they did to get through those or how to leapfrog over those particular problems, you can push yourself further ahead in a shorter period of time. And there is so much great information that's out there 
in the podcasting world where people are sharing this freely, they're adding value. And I think the other thing that that has done is it exposed me to a lot of thought leaders and authors. And I have just been devouring a lot of business books lately as I've heard authors come on, talk about you know their particular area of uh, subject matter expertise, and then bought the book and dove into it myself and really taken away a lot from it. And that has really energized me. You hear some of these stories, you hear some of these uh, these great tips, and you know, I just want to run up to my computer and sort of start applying some of those things today. There is so much information out there in our world today and resources available. And I completely agree. It's so easy to consume content and to to hear content or have access, I guess is the better word to incredible people and that have had built billion dollar businesses and you know, I could go and find a podcast or a book or see them on YouTube and like feel like I've just sat down and had a coffee with them. Yeah, it's I love doing that as well. It's a it's a great great world we're living in today. I think from a from a information standpoint. So as the marketing guy, I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna dub you as the marketing now. guy. I like it. The marketing guy. As the marketing guy, how do you market your services? That's a great question because, you know, I've got to drink my own Kool-Aid, right? I am a huge believer in inbound marketing, which is really creating quality content that you can put out there in the, in the ethos, if you will, and have people find you by the quality of content that you're putting out there. So whether that's, you know, simple things, you know, posting content on LinkedIn or articles on my own blog or even, you know, sharing information on on Twitter or other social media channels to doing things like I, I have my own podcast where I really try to bring people on who can share value, tips and tricks that, that businesses can use and implement in their businesses to help with their marketing trajectory. It's really about putting value out there and then being found because of value that you're creating. Mm. And, you know, that involves search engine optimization and doing all the the technical things that you need to do to be found. There's certainly a lot of work involved in that. There's intention to everything from social media to the blogs that I write to, you know, how I design and change and optimize my website. But that's that's really what I'm doing. And, And for newer businesses, younger businesses that don't have big dollar marketing budgets, it's a great way to sort of build your business. It takes time. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. But if you're consistent with it and you are intentional about your efforts and you have a plan, you have a strategy, that is so key. You can't just randomly do things because there is an order. There is a, a, a systematic way that it needs to be done. But by putting value out there, people will recognize that over time and they will come to you. All right. So where do you see your business in the next three, five years? I'm excited about where the business is going because, you know, COVID has certainly been a slowdown. I'm not going to lie about that. I think like many things, businesses have pulled back as they've waited to see where the economy is going to go and where they want to spend their money. And unfortunately, marketing is one area that people tend to pull back on in these kind of situations, which mm-hmm. research shows is exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. Now is the time that you should be investing in marketing, taking advantage of the opportunities that are out there. But what I really want to see with my business over time, as more people embrace this idea of a fractional executive model of bringing in that expertise of 
allowing your company to utilize the resource of experts, freelancers, outside parties to really scale your business. I see that there's a tremendous opportunity for growth. And one of the things that I personally want to do is continuing to do the kinds of things that I just mentioned is drinking my own Kool-Aid, building my own content, automating as much as possible. I'm a big believer in marketing automation tools because this stuff takes time. Even what right. we're doing today with a podcast, by the time you record it, you know, you, you, well, you meet your guests, you record it, you edit it, you push it out, you do social media posts, you update your website. There's a lot to it. And you start to push this out to all the different channels that you need to support. There's a lot of work in it. So I would really like to see my business become more automated and be able to scale the business more through the use of other outside resources. I think there's a great community of freelancers and resources that can be employed on a project basis or to do specific tasks. So you don't necessarily have to build up a big payroll to get things done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ah, That's great advice. All right. So we're coming in here to the bottom of the ninth. So this is kind of the the question I typically ask all of our guests, and you've already have given a, a ton of great advice, which is, as a seasoned veteran, what kind of advice can you give those folks who are just starting out in their own business venture that are, or even thinking about starting their own business? What, what can you share? I think whether you have designed a product or a service, I think the first thing that you really need to make sure is, is there a market for what you're developing? Too often I see business owners get infatuated with their idea, their concept, And they put a lot of effort, they put a lot of money, they put a lot of time into developing it out without really understanding if there's a market for it. You know, there's this platform called Kickstarter where, you know, people can put up ideas and then they can get some independent funding. And it's really a great way of seeing what ideas are are good and what ideas aren't good. And I think you have to do that a little bit with your own business venture. Before you go too far, make sure there's a place for you in the marketplace. If you're going head-to-head with a huge competitor, that's going to be a really tough road. But if you've got something that you can pivot just a little bit to the left or the right and come up with something that might be a more niche product that may serve a very specific audience, maybe that's the direction that you need to head. So I would really understand where there is a need for your product or service. Don't get too caught up in what you've developed. And then really invest in marketing dollars in making sure that you can develop sales because it's so important to get that revenue engine working. It's so important to create consistent demand. Don't shortchange your marketing efforts. Make sure that you're investing in growth because growth will be the engine that enables you to do more work inside your company, to hire more people, to add more value in in your business and your community and to the lives of your employees. So that would be my advice that I would give to to young businesses. Oh, that's good advice. Spoken from a true experienced veteran of the game. Marketing guy. There you go. The marketing guy. All right. So (laughs) you've mentioned a bunch of different stuff that you do. You mentioned your podcast. I'm going to go ahead and let you give a, a good plug for your podcast. Where can people find it? What's the name of it? All of that good stuff. Yeah. So my podcast is called the virtual CMO and it's available on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, all the big podcast services. And it's a weekly podcast where we interview 
marketing professionals and we talk about um, tips and tricks and marketing automation tools and things that they can do to accelerate their marketing efforts. All right. Great. And I also understand that you're offering out a, uh, a marketing plan assessment. Is that right? Why don't you go ahead and go ahead and plug that as well? How can people tap into that if they want? No, I appreciate you mentioning that. So I am more than willing to jump on the phone with anybody and just have a conversation about what they're doing with marketing. If they're confused on where to go, not exactly sure what steps to take in this post-COVID world or current COVID world, unfortunately, I'm happy to get on the phone, go through a marketing assessment, see where uh, your plan is today and give you some free recommendations as to where I think you should invest your time and energy. And that's available right from my homepage on my website at fiveechelon.com. Very good. And we will have all of your uh, social links and your website and probably a phone number as well in our show notes. So uh, any of the listeners can go there and get all of that relevant information right there from Eric. All right. Hey, well, that's the ball game, Eric. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us from Florida. I appreciate it. Randy, thanks for having me on. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been a great time. And for the listeners, hey, thanks for joining us today. And if you liked our show, please tell your friends, uh, subscribe, and we'd love your review. And as we say, we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.